0: We are uh, in our like series at this point in time, and uh, we began last week. And if you hadn't been here in well, a little while, uh, about a month ago, we had a poll in the church of you know passages, verses, stories from the Bible that uh, we're just either drawn to, is spoke to us, or we've always been kind of interested in what is going on in that situation. And from that, we came up with uh, ten. Uh, passages in which we're going to be walking through throughout this like series. And where we're going to be this morning is in the book of Psalms. And so if you have your Bible with you, you can make your way to the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, Psalm 103. And a little trick in finding the Psalms, if you were to take your Bible like so, put your thumbs in the middle and then open it up, you will either be in Psalms or very close to it. I opened up the Proverbs there, but that's only a book away. And uh, we're going to be in Psalm 103 the book of Psalms is one of my favorite books in the Old Testament as it captures every single human emotion, every single thing that we can go through in life and how we respond to that. It is really an unfiltered book uh, within the Bible. Um, there, it holds no punches um, from man's perspective and crying out to God or speaking to God. It's It's been called at times the hymnal of the Bible. And if you are unfamiliar with what a hymnal is, you can go Google that later. Um, But it is basically a worship book. And if you notice, uh, Psalms is at the center of the Bible because the center of God's heart is that we would bless His name. We would worship Him. And and through these Psalms, not everything is always going good for the writer of the Psalms. Sometimes there are things that they are, are struggling to understand things that they are struggling to see how God could be in that. And yet in the midst of all their struggles and all their joys and their praises, it's worshiping God, knowing that He is a God who remains faithful and He does not change. A couple years ago, there was a slogan that came out with uh, smartphones and tablets that there is an app for that. And when it comes to the Psalms and, and the things we deal with in life, there is a Psalm for that. If you're feeling joyous and worshipful, you've had a great week and you're feeling really ready to go, well, there's a psalm for that. If you're feeling in need of direction and you're wanting to know what you should do in certain aspects of life and where you should look, there's a psalm for that. If you're wrestling with the thoughts of why do people who seem to be so consumed in a sinful way of life always seem to prosper and get away with things? there's a psalm for that. If you're feeling overwhelmed with the pressures of this world and the struggles of this world, there's a psalm for that. If you're sick and your body's just not working the way you think it should be working, there's a psalm for that. If you're at a sense of loss, feeling a sense of betrayal, maybe a friend has betrayed you or backstabbed you, maybe a co-worker, maybe a family member has gone against you and has really broken your heart. There's a psalm for that. Throughout the psalms, every single emotion, every single thing that we can go through in life, good or bad, being at a sense of loss, being at a place of questioning, sometimes even doubts, sometimes anger, there's a psalm for that. Because it is laying the heart of the individual before God in in truth and in spirit and not hiding anything because God already knows where we really are and what we're really going through. As we turn to Psalm chapter 103, uh, we come to a psalm that is really an uplifting psalm, but it does remind us of our spiritual state. When it comes to the book of Psalms, like I said, it is unfiltered. Martin Luther said concerning the book of Psalms that it is a little Bible, wherein everything contained in the entire Bible is beautifully and briefly comprehended. R.C. Sproul wrote in the Psalms, We have a collection of 150 prayers that were inspired by the Holy Spirit. So if you want to know how God is pleased and honored in prayer, why not immerse yourself in the prayers that He Himself has inspired? He goes on to say that it has been said of church historians in those periods of church history, where renewal, revival, and awakening took place and the church was at its strongest. That coincidental with those periods in church history, there was a strong focus on the Psalms and the life of God's people, particularly in the worship of God's people. No doubt it's in the center to draw us to us, to bring us to a place of worship, because that is what we're called to do. We're called to worship God in spirit and truth, and that implies when times are good and when times are bad and when times we don't even seem to have the answer or even know where to look, it's called into a place of worship. Today we'll be in Psalm 103. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to look there. And as we look at Psalm 103, let's just begin at the very top. Uh, Psalm 103 is obviously given us as the chapter. Maybe in your Bible there is some sort of title given to this particular psalm. Don't worry so much about that because that was not originally written in Scripture. That was added uh, by editors into the Scriptures to kind of give us a heads up on what is about to happen. But I want you to notice the subscript which is given to the the author of this particular psalm who is also credited with the majority of psalms in the Bible. And that is that Psalm 103 is of David. Now, as a reader of the Bible, and as those who may be familiar with the Bible, when we hear that name David, we should automatically be able to associate certain things with this particular individual. We know that he was a shepherd to his father's flock. We know that he was anointed to be king of Israel because he was a man after God's heart. We know that he worked in the court of King Saul who ultimately King Saul ended up trying to to kill him. And David ended up being a refugee, ended up being wanted, ended up having to hide and that crazy at times. We know he killed a, a, a giant named Goliath. We know he fought many battles and he won and people sang his praises. We know that he was given the covenant known as the Davidic covenant, in which someone from his line would always sit upon the throne, in which he was referring ultimately to Jesus Christ. We know that David, even though he was a man after, his own, after God's own heart, was not a sinless individual. Is one of He had sins throughout his whole life, but one sin that it seems to be amplified is the adultery or the affair that he had with a woman named Bathsheba. In that, in that relationship, there was a son that was born and the son died at early childbirth. And David went through that. He, he dealt with the, the, the loss of a child. He was betrayed by his own kid who grew up and wanted to be the king over uh, all of Israel. David dealt with having to Or wanting to build a temple to the Lord, but the Lord telling him flat out, no, you cannot do that. There's too much blood on your hands. This was a man that worshiped God, but a man that also struggled with God. A man that was tempted by his friends to do things that were not godly, and yet in the midst of it, for the majority of times, he resisted. As David comes to write this psalm, and it's believed that this psalm was written in the latter part of his life, so he's already experienced being on the run. He's already experienced his closest friend, Jonathan, dying. He's already gone through mourning. He's seen the Ark of the Covenant come back into Jerusalem. He's made Jerusalem the holy city of God, and he's in his palace, and he's longing to build the temple, but he's been told no. He's dealt with the loss of a newborn child. All throughout this, David comes to this place in the latter part of his life to worship. Psalm 103, beginning in verse 1, says, My soul, bless the Lord, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. My soul, bless the Lord, and do not forget all His benefits. He forgives all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like an eagle. The Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He revealed His ways to Moses, His deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He has dealt with us as our sins. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve, or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love to those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the West, so far as He removed our transgressions from us. as the Father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him, for He knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower of the field. When the wind passes over it, it vanishes, and his place is no longer known. But from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithfulness, faithful love, is toward those who fear him and his righteousness toward the grandchildren. Of those who keep his covenant, who remember to observe his precepts, the Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord. All His angels of great strength do His word, obedient to His command. Bless the Lord. All His armies, His servants who do His will. Bless the Lord. All His works and all the places where He rules. My soul, bless the Lord. David, no doubt, had times of struggle, as we've mentioned. No doubt has gone through times of doubts and questions. But as he's drawing To what many believe is the end of his life, his call is to bless the Lord. That word blessed means to exalt. It means to worship. It means to lift up. And if you look at Psalm 103, what you find is this psalm begins with blessing the Lord and it ends with blessing the Lord. And, And if we were to be able to see it in the Hebrew, we would see that there's 22 stanzas which make up the Hebrew alphabet, which is telling this psalm is a comprehensive and complete collection calling individuals, calling God's people to worship. But notice where he starts there in verse 1. He says, My soul bless the lord and all that was within me bless his holy name when it comes to worship what we first have to understand is worship begins with us it begins with us individually and personally and what we bring to worship it's not about all of this it's not about the banging on the drums or the strumming of the guitar or the or the hooting and hollering it's about the heart of the individual coming to worship the glory of god And so what we bring into this place and what David is calling from is he's led by the Spirit. He says, my soul, I must first get my soul to a place where I'm blessing God, where I'm worshiping God, where I'm lifting Him up. I must prepare my own heart. And then as I prepare my own heart, then I join in the corporate worship with God's people in worshiping and blessing His holy name and His holy presence and His faithful love. See, worship begins With us. It begins with with our heart. Is our heart right with God? Is our heart prepared to hear from God? Is our heart prepared to worship God? All this is nice, and, and the Bible talks about tambourines and drums and harps and all that stuff, but the reality is, I can have all this stuff and still not worship God. If I'm not in a place where I'm ready to Lift him up. The phrase there, my soul, in verse 1, is to say that all that was, is within me, as verse 1 captures, again, that's a parallel statement, as the Bible and Psalms is, is poetry. And so it's emphasizing that my soul is, everything within me is to bless God, is to lift him up, is to exalt him. And that means when it comes to worship, It's not about going through the motions. It's not about just doing what Jackson tells us to do or the worship team tells us to do. It's about laying myself bare before God because He is an awesome God. And so I worship Him. But if if you were to think about your morning this morning, before you got to church, would you say that you were prepared to actually worship God? I don't know what your house looks like. I know what our house looks like on Sunday mornings, and it is not worship prep, okay? It's, Ethan, stop hitting your sister. Ethan, stop picking on your sister. No, you can't wear that. Yes, you do have to wear clothes. I don't know where your shoes are. Go find them. Where'd you put them last? Where'd you see them last? Yes, you need your jacket. It's cold this morning. Uh, Stop talking back to me, no, I'm not angry with you, but I am getting rather frustrated with you. No, the dog cannot come to church today. Yes, you have to buckle up in the car. Yes, you have to sit in your seat. Stop yelling in the car. I'm going to church to worship God and you're driving me nuts. You know, I mean, right? then you get to church, and you're like, well, you wouldn't want food if you actually woke up in time to eat food at home. I provide food for you. What's wrong with that? And, and then go to, go to children's church, and you learn about Jesus. So, right? And then, we, then 1030, and actually on the website, 1030 is when worship starts. But I, even on my first Sunday here, it was 1035 probably. And what happens, and I may, be, I may be going after a golden calf here at the moment. What happens regularly is Jackson's up here, and you hear a drum or a piano or a guitar strum, and Jackson is saying, all right, we're going to get started. And I, I love the social aspects. I love the fellowship. That is beautiful. It is beneficial to the church body. But can we honestly say that our hearts are prepared for worship when we are rushing in during the first song? We're trying to situate it in our seat. We're trying to <coughs> finish that I can sing that last verse. And I, I'm not one of those traditional where you shouldn't have food or drink or anything like that, but I'm just saying, can we really say that our heart Is ready to worship God. Can we honestly say that I have prayed before the music starts? Not that I wouldn't kill my kids, but that I would be able to hear what God has set before me today. I want to challenge you, and I understand, again, maybe a golden calf, but I want to challenge you. We... Typically start about 10.30, 10.35. First thing is get to sleep at a reasonable time on Saturday night. I know that can't always happen. I know that. But it's really hard to worship God and and to pour myself out to him if I'm struggling to stay awake. And I know that can't always happen. Trust me, it doesn't always happen in, in our family. The second thing I want to challenge you to do is to get here before Jackson says, hey, we're going to start worshiping. I'm not trying to say don't socialize, don't fellowship, but there's times there's a welcome you can say hello. There's times afterwards no one's telling you you have to leave after church and and to gather with those people. But what we gather here to do as God's people is to bless his name. And if we're so consumed about getting someone in the right spot, getting in a seat we normally sit in or where we'd like to sit in, making sure we finish our coffee or donut or biscuit or whatever it is, and by the time we're finally situated, we're in the very last song before the message starts, I find that very difficult to find that we're actually ready to worship God. And we're ready to hear from Him. Some of us are still trying to clean out our teeth. It's my challenge to you, and don't do it for me. Do it for your heart, is be disciplined. Make it a habit of getting here early so it's not Jackson saying, hey, we're going to start. It's us saying, hey, Jackson, let's start. Let's get going. I am ready. What an incredible testimony for people who may come and visit. And there's a running joke here that you know who a visitor is because they're already in worship center. It's the truth, though, isn't it? Let's set the standard. Let's be prepared so when our heart's ready, then we can spend time and be praying for the people that God's going to be sitting around us. We're in a spiritual battle in this place, and Satan is after your heart. He is after your worship. And a lot of times, I think we miss what God has in store for us because we've already lost the battle before worship begins. But David's saying, I have to check my heart. My soul, my soul blessed the Lord. All that was is is within me, blessed Lord. My soul blessed the Lord. And so how do we get there? Well, David says, the end of verse two, he says, do not forget all his benefits. And throughout the psalm, he outlays the benefits. But one of the key components of the benefits of the Lord is his faithful love. Four times David emphasizes this. In verse 4, David says, he crowns you with faithful love. In verse 8, it says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. In verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love. In verse 18, from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love is toward those who fear him and his righteousness. See, faithful love here isn't just speaking about the character of God, but also God's actions towards you and towards me. Though so David lived in a time where the sacrificial system was in place, there was a tabernacle and you would go and offer your sacrifices in order to be forgiven for your sins, he understood this truth that God is love. And That God demonstrated His love for us so much that He sent His only Son to die for our sins, that we might be completely forgiven. God is faithful to us even when we are unfaithful to God. And so the fuel for our worship is to remember the, remember the benefits of God, and that starts with understanding that God loves me. God loves me. He loves me despite myself. He loves me even though I'm fully aware of my sins and my shortcomings and those things I want to keep hidden in the dark. God knows all of those things. There's not a thing in my life hidden, and He loves me despite that. God's love for me is greater than any of the sins I've ever committed or ever will commit. He loves me. And David emphasizes that. If you look in verse 17, he says, From eternity to eternity. He's saying it is all-encompassing. It never ends. There's no time restraint to God's love because he loves you, period. When our worship and preparing our hearts for worship, it's coming to that place just saying, God, thank you for loving me. And now I worship you because I am responding to your love for me. You've given me more than I deserve. You've blessed me more than I deserve. There's things in my life I should not have, but because you love me, I worship you. One of the greatest statements that many people think Jesus ever said, Jesus only said it once and it was in a conversation with a man by the name of Nicodemus and he said in John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son and that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we always end right there but here verse 17 it says for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. And this this verse that many of us know and we're going to look at more intently on Easter morning. is a verse that sometimes we know so well that we don't apply it to a personal aspect. It can sound like this. For God so loved me, my Kirchhen, in this way that God gave His only Son, Jesus Christ. So by my faith in Jesus alone, I will not receive the penalty of my sin, but instead I will be given eternal life. For God did not send Jesus into this world to condemn me, but to save me through his sacrifice for all of my sins upon the cross. I think some of us have a real strange relationship with God, and I get tempted to go there too, that we feel that God's just after after us to bring the hammer down. But the, the truth of that scripture and the truth of Psalm 103 is that God loves us, and in his love, he wants to lift us up. He wants to save us. And he wants to live in that place where we are so overwhelmed by his love. The question is, why would God, an almighty God, a holy God, love us in this way? Look in verse 14. The reason God loves us in this way is because God knows who we are. Verse 14 of Psalm 103, it says, For he, speaking of the Lord, who is eternal, he knows what we are made of, remembering but we are of dust. See, God who's eternal knows that you and I are going to face the same reality someday. We're all going to die. Unless Jesus Christ comes back, we are all going to die. It's reality. It's one certainty, one thing we all have in common. And God knows that. And He knows why we're all going to die. It's because the sin in us that is slowly decaying this body. The sin in us is killing us. And it is separating from us from God unless it is dealt with. And God knows that about you. He knows we all have a sin problem. He knows we wrestle with it every single day. That statement from dust to dust comes out of the statement which God gave Adam in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 19, God declared to Adam because he disobeyed him and sin was now in his life, he was going to return from which he came from dust to dust. Because sin is a killer. But God knows who we are and he comes to bring his love. He knows that we are helpless. He knows that we are without hope because of our sin. But he also wants us to be aware that his love towards us is greater than our sin. Look there in verse 10 of Psalm 103. It says, He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. See, The Bible reveals over and over again how much God loves His people. Though we wrestle with sin, though we fall away, though we backslide, you know what God does over and over again? He comes after us. He comes after us. He sends his prophets, he sends his word, he sends his son. Wow, that's how much God is for us. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he wants the best for us. And so to move to this place of worship is to be so overwhelmed, to come to reality of who I am. I'm a sinner before a holy God, but because God loves me and is for me, I can now bless Him, I can now worship Him, I can now lift Him up because God loved me, I'm now going to love Him back in response to that. And the way we do that, this psalm says if we just remember what God has done for us and what He is going to do. Look throughout this psalm, David uses a, a, a phrase over and over again of a calling to remember Beginning in verse 6, he's calling the people. He's now moved from an independent or a personal worship of calling the people of God to worship. And he takes a statement out of Exodus chapter 34. He says in verse 6, The Lord executed acts of righteousness and justice for all oppressed. He revealed His ways to Moses, His deeds to the people of Israel. And then he takes the listeners, the Jewish listeners, to a place where the people of God fully understood God's holiness and yet His compassion and His mercy. He says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. And where David takes that from, if you go to Exodus 34, what happened is Moses was just on the mountain, on Mount Sinai. He just received the tablets, the commandments of God, and the people of God were so aware and so in awe of God's holiest powers he had come upon Mount Sinai that they begged Moses, you go up and talk to him and then you tell us what he wants. You tell us what he wants to say and we will follow that. So Moses goes up there for 40 days. And as the people are on the foot of the mountain, with God's presence all over the mountain, you know what they do in those 40 days? Hey, yeah, Aaron, why don't we we build a cow? I don't know what happened to him. He may be dead. They're not worried enough to go up and look for him. See, you you and I are going to worship. And in that reality and in that place, when Moses comes down the mountain and Joshua meets him and he says, it sounds like there's war in the camp. Something's going on they come down and the people of God who who had just been saved by God through the plagues and the Red Sea and the water from rock and manna from heaven and his presence on the mountain, they've been aware of all of that. The people of God have now churned from God and are worshiping something else. Moses comes down and throws the tablets down, and God tells Moses, I'm going to wipe these people out. But through you, Moses, I will raise up a generation of people my own possession." And in that moment, Moses cries out to God on behalf of the people. He said, God, if you do this, you'll make a mockery of us before all the people and your name will be profaned. But Lord, have mercy. Have compassion. And because Moses interceded, God relented. And it says there in Exodus chapter 34, the Lord declared to Moses, to declare to the people. Verse 6, The Lord, the Lord, is compassionate and a gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but He will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the Father's iniquity on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. And what David is led to do here in Psalm 103 is to draw the people of God back to that moment when they were so aware of God's holiness but in the same breath they became fully aware of His compassion and His grace. See, that's where our worship is fueled from. As I remember when I came aware of God's holiness and my sin and that it separated me but because God loved me, He saved me. He does not hold my transgressions or my sins or my iniquities or my my down faults before him anymore. David goes on to say there in verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from our sins. And if you keep in reality, David does not know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. He only knows the sacrificial system. Yet we who stand here today in 2017 either know Him or we're going to have the opportunity to know Jesus Christ our Savior who died once and for all, for all sins, for all time, that we can be completely forgiven, completely wiped clean of our sins and we can be declared righteous before God not by anything we have done but simply because God loves you. He loves you. But how often do we forget it when we come into church And we begin to make this about us. And when I was talking about y'all getting in here a little bit earlier, some of y'all were having that battle. This place is not about us. It's not about Pastor Mike. It's not about the worship team. It's about he who sits on his throne, who will judge every single individual and loves you more than you can possibly ever understand. That's what this place is about. And so we call to remember. We're called to worship. The final question we must ask is, is this love that God has, is it conditional or is it unconditional? Are there strings attached? And the answer to that is difficult because it's both. God's love is unconditional in that God loves all people because all people are made in the image of God. He loves them but the love in which David speaks of is a love in understanding who God is and what God has done in order for the sin to be forgiven. David is understanding that this love that he is in the midst of is conditional upon being God's people. See, God loves you, but the reality is, is that you are not loved by God or understand the love of God in this way until you accept God's gift of love to you. Without Jesus Christ, your sins are not wiped away. Without Jesus Christ, they're not as far as east from the west. Without Jesus Christ, you don't understand God's compassion. You don't understand His faithful love. You don't understand His slow to anger and His abounding in love. You don't understand that He has not dealt with you. Without Jesus Christ in your life, you are still believing that you are okay in your sin. And the reality that David understood is that I am not. For someday I will die, and I will give an account for everything in my life, unless my sins are dealt with. I will be separated, as David writes, to the pit, to hell. See, God is a giver of life, and death is the ultimate separator between God's creation and himself. If you're here this morning, and if you've yet to accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, this is the first place you need to be. You cannot worship God the way this psalm calls for you to worship God without Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But if you're here today as God's people and you've already made that confession, if you're like me, man, I just get distracted. It is so easy to get distracted in here, isn't it? I I, I see things going around. I I hear things going on. I I sometimes look at my wife and I wonder, why is she looking at me like that? Did I say something stupid? Um, I always wonder why Nick's so far away from Jackson and, you know, they make him mad. And There's so many things to get distracted from. And so what I want to encourage you to do is to prepare your heart to worship God as God's people and to get here, to close your eyes and just focus, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And ask God's kingdom to come in your life and his will would be done in your life in this place. And if we would just lay our hearts before God and say, God, just have your way with me. Do Reveal to me what I don't know yet. Show me what needs to be out of my life that I may not be fully aware yet. And God, I'm just here to worship you and I'm here to lift you up because you have loved me. (coughs) You're worthy of my love. But it's all about us individually getting our hearts right with God. Remember all his benefits. God loves you. Maybe here this morning you need to accept that love. The Bible says we do that, we first have to admit that we're sinners. We first have to admit that we've fallen short of holiness, of perfection, (laughs) which is all of us. All of us. But because God loves me and I believe that He loved me, that He sent His Son Jesus to die on a cross for me to take my punishment, Jesus put his arms out and said, Father, blame me. And he hid me behind that, behind behind the wrath that was going to be poured upon Jesus. He hid me behind that so I wouldn't have to be guilty of that anymore. And I believe God loved me that much that Jesus lived a perfect life, a life I could not. He died for my sins on the cross. He was put in a tomb, but he came out that I could be forgiven, and I believe it. The Bible says if I believe in my heart, I need to confess it with my mouth, and then I'll be saved. Reality is, if you've yet to confess Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, according to scriptures, you're not saved. And if you're in this place right here, right now, this is what God is extending to you, His love offer. Will you accept it? We're going to sing a song of invitation. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. If that's where you are, God is screaming out, I love you, I'm for you. Will you accept my gift? Maybe you're here this morning and you know you've just been wrestling with worshiping God. Maybe you just need to kneel before the Father. Say, God, I've made it about something else and it hasn't been about you. Wherever you are, don't worry about what people think. You're not here for people, you're here for Him. Now's the time to respond. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your compassion, your grace, Lord. Thank you that I'm the worst of sinners, Father. I fail you time and time again, and sometime out of pride. Father, you look at me and you discipline me as your child, as a father would to his child. Father, because you love me. Father, forgive me those times I've come in this place and I've just jumped right into worshiping you and not even thought about what I'm singing or what I'm saying. Lord, just going through the motions. Father, you don't don't desire that. Father, as we come to this time, one last opportunity to pour our hearts out to you, to lift you up and to bless your holy name. Let it be the type of worship that you're seeking. You're desiring from your children. Forgive us, Lord, when we've worshipped our stomachs, we've worshipped our own time schedule, we've worshipped a relationship. Forgive us if we've come with any other motivation in this place that hasn't been to worship you, to meet with you, and to hear from you. Father, we bless your name. Lord, I pray for the individual in this room right now who has yet to accept you as your Lord and Savior that spiritual battle going upon their heart in this very moment. In the name of Jesus Christ, I rebuke it. Lord, I ask you just to overwhelm them with your love, that you would just pick them up and you would move them forward, that they would come to a place of confessing you as Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord. You don't ask us to have it all figured out. You don't even ask us to clean up our act. You just tell us to come. So in this time, in this place, as we sing a worship song to you, let it be from our hearts and let it be by our actions. You are good. Forgive us if we failed you in any way in this time. Praise all in your Son's name. Let's stand as we sing.